This episode of Special Sauce is brought to you by U.S. Bank. If you're anything like me, you're thinking about food all the time. One day I'm craving Texas barbecue, the next day it's cast iron skillet fried chicken. Wouldn't it be great to earn rewards on everything you crave, whether it's dishes from your favorite restaurant or food you make at home? Or takeout. I do love takeout, whether it's great pizza from Mama's 2 or roast pork, egg foo young, sauce on the side, please, from La Dinestia, or just some spicy tuna rolls from Sushi Yasaka. Well, now you can with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. With this credit card, you can earn four times points on dining, takeout, and restaurant delivery and two times points at grocery stores, grocery delivery, gas stations, EV charging stations, and streaming services. Plus, discover how you can earn 20,000 bonus points, a $200 value, at usbank.com slash altitude go when you apply. Live every day your way with the Altitude Go card. Learn more at usbank.com slash altitude go. Limited time offer. The creditor and issue of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. Welcome to Special Sauce, a series each podcast about food and life. Every week on Special Sauce, we talk to some of the leading lights of American culture, food folks and non-food folks alike. Yeah, I'd love to develop more recipes with my mom. My mom the other day told me that she has, she was like, I, I think I have enough recipes for three cookbooks. And I was like, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves, mom. <laughs> <That's awesome>. but- <laughs> Priya Krishna, author of the lovely Indianish, is still with us. So you're writing for various pubs. By the way, some serious, like, high-quality pubs. We're not talking about Weekly Reader or the Chelsea News, you know, the New Yorker, the New York Times. It's pretty impressive. I bet even your mom was impressed. Yeah, I think they were both really—I think they they didn't know what was going to happen when I went freelance, and they were a little bit worried. And then— Once they could tell their friends— that Priya yeah, had written a exactly. piece for the New York Times. I know I had the you, same yeah, thing you, with, with my mother-in-law. Yeah. Finally, my mother-in-law has something to tell her friends about what her son-in-law does. Totally. Because yeah. otherwise it's very hard. it was very hard for them to understand yeah, what I did for a living. For sure. But how did the book come about? The seeds of it were kind of planted while I was working at Lucky Peach. We worked with an amazing editor, this woman named Rika Alanik at Clarkson Potter. Who was the assistant for my very first book book wow. when she was an undergraduate at Yale and a friend <laughs> of my niece's. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> I absolutely love her. And she edited all of our books. And we had a book come out called Power Vegetables. And my mom contributed more recipes than anyone to that cookbook because I'd, I'd asked her for recipes. And Rika, in particular, had just kind of fallen in love with the recipes my mom contributed also loved my mom's story and she felt like that story felt like one that was really relevant and that there also wasn't a cookbook that made Indian food feel like simple and doable on a weeknight. Got it. And so she was like, I want a book that kind of marries those two ideas, that 
you know, first gen, second gen narrative and the idea of a, like a really straightforward and accessible Indian cookbook that doesn't feel the need to adhere to traditions or explain to you all the different regional cuisines of India, but also does move past what the, the food that you see in restaurants. Um, and she, she sort of painted this picture for me. And then I wrote a proposal. And as I was writing the proposal, it was one of those things where it just all clicked. I was like, oh, yeah, obviously this this is a book that That's should fascinating. Exist. So it was her idea. We should explain that Rika, after being my assistant, which didn't last very long because she was still in college, became an editor at a publishing house. So mm-hmm. she really knew her way around every aspect of publishing when she became an agent. Yeah. You say the book is maybe first and foremost about identity. Mm-hmm. And that couldn't have come from Rika. We know that comes from you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it all kind of comes back to the title, Indian-ish. It's a very apt descriptor for the food in the book, but it's also an apt descriptor for how I feel. You know, for my whole life, I always felt Indian and American, but not quite fitting into either of those molds. It was like I was too American to be Indian and too Indian to be American. But I think that as time has gone by, I have found ways to really feel proud of that tension. You know, in my book, I talk about how we wear our kurtas with jeans and we listen to Bollywood music alongside our top 40 hits. And this is just, these are all equally important parts of, you know, what we what we do. And I love Indian food, but I also love Italian food. And I don't think that those things need to feel mutually exclusive, even though growing up, I thought that was the case. It's fascinating. So it's like you're wrestling with issues of of assimilation and identity mm-hmm. the way a lot of people do. Yeah. And it almost felt like even more unfair because I was like, I'm, I was born and raised here. Like I am American just like everyone else. So why am I made to feel like I don't fit in here? And you probably wrestled with that well before you wrote the book. Yeah. That was like my entire elementary, middle school, and high school experience. Yeah, one of the things that I loved about the book is that you wrote in the book, hello, it's like, welcome to Indianish. <laughs> yeah. And I, I I was struck by that because for a long time on Serious Eats, the homepage had welcome Serious Eaters. Mm-hmm. And now I'm actually quite annoyed that I allowed some designer to have me take it off. <laughs> because I think... I think the book is very welcoming, and I think a welcome is really important, especially when you're trying to communicate ideas that haven't been put forward before. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole idea of you're welcoming people to the to the world that you inherited and that you're trying to make sense of as you move along in your life. Yeah, and I also wanted the book to sort of sound like a conversation. Like I was just a friend standing next to you in the kitchen just chatting with yeah. you. Yeah. So I wanted to keep the conversation really chatty. I want people to feel unintimidated. I wanted them to feel welcomed. Exactly. Yeah. Let's define the ish. And I know you say that it was just a placeholder mm-hmm. and then it became the title. Yeah. But what does the ish mean to you? It's just like a representative of all of the things that have influenced my family's identity and our food. 
you know, it's the, the travels around the world that we took, you know, the fact that I grew up in Dallas, Texas and the influences from that, the television shows I watched and the movies I was obsessed with, all of that is in this book and all of that encompasses the ish. So you you wrote about what you know. Yeah. And I think that, like, for me, that was the only cookbook that I could write. I don't want to pretend to be an authority on Indian food because I'm not. I didn't want this book to be like, this is your guide to Indian food. Yeah. And more just like, this is a guide to the food that I grew up eating. It's funny that you mentioned that because neither you nor your mother had any formal training cooking, either Mm -hmm. at a restaurant or even going to cooking school. But- you felt like you had something to say and you could communicate it best through food. Mm-hmm. And that was your jumping off point from the book. And so yeah. you, did it ever give you pause that you hadn't devoted years to perfecting your cooking craft? I, you know, I felt really self-conscious about it at first. But I think this book is kind of it's a reflection of exactly who I am, which is that I'm not a super skilled cook who spends hours in the kitchen. I am a pretty lazy cook and, you know, my knife skills are fine, not great. And this book is reflective of that. Like there are a lot of recipes that are very forgiving if you don't have good knife skills. These are recipes that I make on a weeknight because if something had like five sub recipes, there's just no way that you would find me making that on a Tuesday night. So I learned to sort of lean into those things that I felt really self-conscious about and make that into a cookbook that felt very real to where I am in my life yeah. now. You sort of answer this in the in the book, and I'd love for you to answer it now, in the frequently asked questions about why should I trust you? Mm-hmm. So why should we trust you? Well, I mean, I think first and foremost, I, I think you should trust me because you should trust my mom because she's an incredible cook. Where Where I am a you know, super lazy, not as skilled in the kitchen cook. Like my mom has been doing this for a really, really long time. She has learned on the job and she is super skilled, super intuitive. Like these recipes are all written by her. I just edited them, had them tested and, you know, went through that whole process. So I think one, because of my mom, I think the second is like, I, I think that as a food writer, I kind of like, I understood, you know, what and as someone who's worked on many, many cookbooks and read many, many cookbooks, I kind of understood like, okay, this is what what does it take to write a cookbook that people will actually use that will make an impact? That was something I thought about a lot. And I also put a ton of effort into making sure that these recipes worked and were trustworthy. Yeah, I spent a month doing testing and then I had each of them tested by three amateur cooks like you know I removed the recipes that got mixed feedback and only kept in the greatest hits like this is a book that you know the most frustrating thing is when you buy all these ingredients and you put effort into recipe and then it doesn't work I didn't want that to be the case no no that's the death of all of us yeah you write that Indian food is everyday food Mm-hmm. It seems like that's an important thing that you wanted to communicate. Yeah. I mean, I think there's this perception at you know many of the publications that I write for that they treat foods that are not Western foods almost as though they're like projects. Like there's no way you can make Indian food or Middle Eastern food or Korean food 
on your average weeknight. That's something you have to devote special time to. And I just wanted to rid people of that notion. This is the food that I grew up eating. This is the food that millions and millions of people eat every single day on, you know, Monday through Friday. So you talk about spices a lot Mm -hmm. in the book. Give us a one-minute primer on Indian spices. Sure. The spices are what add the depth and complexity to a lot of Indian dishes. Not every Indian dish has spices, though, and that's evident in the book. And not every Indian dish requires you to make a customized spice blend. I feel like that's something that really intimidates people about Indian food. They're like, well, I have to buy a spice grinder and blend up spices. In a lot of the dishes, the spices are left whole because they add – cumin seeds taste totally different when you're eating them whole versus ground. Mm-hmm. They add a really interesting texture. They taste a little bit different. They're a little bit more intense. So I wanted this book to sort of teach you how to cook with spices in an everyday accessible way because that's how my mom cooked with them. And I also wanted to teach the basics about spices, like the idea that you have to toast them either dry or in some kind of fat to really activate their aromatics, the concept of a chonk, which is yes. when you— <laughs> we have to talk about yeah. chonk because, first of all, I'd never seen the word, and we should have a spelling test for everyone who's listening. How do you spell chonk? C H H-O-N-K. So the chonk, I get a lot of people who email me saying that's not how you spell chonk. But chonk, the way that I spell it in the book is a sort of a phonetic spelling because it's a it's a Hindi word. And in Hindi, there's a ch and then there's a ch, which is a more breathy. And this is the ch. This is the chonk. Yeah. Well, it's like a little more. It's like chonk. OK. Like, give I'm it never going to get it. Give I it a little tell. more H. OK. <laughs> Um, yeah, so what what about the magic of chunk? So it's this really fundamental technique in uh, South Asian cooking, and basically the idea is that you're heating up some kind of fat, whether that's ghee or oil, tossing in spices and or herbs, and basically crisping them in the oil, and you pour it on top of a dish, and it adds this unbelievable texture, an extra layer of richness and complexity. And you can, you say in the book, you can put it on anything: salad, vegetables, meat. It just nachos. You chonk it. Chonk nachos are unbelievable. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's so great. So in the book, you write about Rit. Is that how I pronounce your mother's name? Ritu. 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 Yeah. Ritu's tips. Mm-hmm. And I feel the need to recite Ritu's tips because <laughs> I do not live up to many of them. And I want to know if you live up to many of them. So I'm going to quickly go through them. Taste every dish for lime and salt. Never underestimate the power of a statement necklace. I wouldn't know about that. And statement earrings to go with the statement necklace. Change out of your work clothes as soon as you get home. You'll immediately feel more relaxed. Always take the stairs if you can. <laughs> Appetizers are overrated and distract from all the hard work you put into a meal. Two and a half inches are as high a heel as you'll ever need. Anything taller is a recipe for bunions. Use cloth napkins even if you're using paper plates. They make everything look better. Better to be overdressed than to be underdressed. Invest in nice pottery. It will make your food look ten times more impressive. And for dinner parties, try to be done cooking food at least two hours before guests come over so you can have a pre-party glass of wine. I have never mastered that. So how many of those have you mastered? Um, I'm still still working on a lot of them, I would yeah, say. Yeah, that's like an advanced course in yeah. gracious living. 
Yeah, it's really funny. She cut out the one that she cut out that I'm really bummed. I kind of wish I could put it back in is this is more my dad's rule for living graciously, which is poop in your house in the comfort of your own toilet. <laughs> <laughs> that's, for the, that's for the blooper reel. Yeah. <laughs> but OK, I, I do. I try and take the stairs. That's that's one that I do. I feel like I'm always like a statement necklace or statement earrings person. Never both. And I need to get better at doing both. My my pottery collection is very, very limited. I just have a tiny apartment and that stuff chips really easily. I do love that the tip about when you come home changing out of your work clothes. That I found that that's an easy one and I do always feel more relaxed. Did you initially fight all of your mother's tips? No, th- these weren't the things that we fought about. Got Those it. were things where I was like, okay, yeah, she's got this figured out. Yeah. Do you feel that she's right about the heels? And... Yeah, I, I think she's 100% right about the heels. I, you know, I I, I feel since... that way about my heels. So <laughs> I have since changed my philosophy on shoes. When I was younger, I was like always really into the high heels, and now I I completely agree. So, um, the book has really catapulted you in really interesting ways, right? How has the book changed your work life and how you view your work? I feel like I never set out to be an ambassador for Indian cooking, but I guess I I have been. I mean, there are obviously some really amazing and talented people out there who are also blazing a trail. You know, people like Tejal Rao and Kushbu Shah and Sonia Chopra, who are doing unbelievable work to sort of get stories about Indian cooking out there. But yeah, I've just sort of, as I, I'm on my book tour now, and it's the most exciting to meet other Thaisis, other South Asians who are like, I've I feel seen in this cookbook. Um, I had never, you know, opened the Bon Appetit YouTube channel and seen someone cooking with curry leaves. That's that's cool and exciting to me. And, you know, I've I've been lucky enough to be given these platforms and I want to use them to try to change things. You do have, in your own way, a missionary zeal. Yeah, I mean, I... In a quiet way. I mean, it's getting... I'm getting less and less quiet about it. I feel like food media just there is still this mentality that american cooking encompasses these western cuisines and everything else is is the other and i think i still think indian food is treated as this sort of strange esoteric thing and i I really want to change that i I admire people who are doing that for other cuisines i absolutely adore andrea nguyen who offer who just authored vietnamese food every day because I hope to do what she's doing for Vietnamese food, for Indian food. And you're doing a lot of video, mm-hmm. you know, for Bon App and for yourself. And maybe you'll come do stuff for Serious Eats. Will you come do some videos yeah, for Serious Eats? What are the things that you found hardest to master in doing videos? What's funny is people always ask, like, what kind of training did you receive before you did video? And the answer is none. At Bon Appetit, they just throw you in front of the camera there's no script. There's no nothing. They're just like, just go, just do it. And they need you to just immediately be able to, while the onions are sauteing, just talk to the camera and say things and to just to be likable. But there's no way to there's no there's you can't there's no formula for being likable. No, and it's, it's, I always used to say to people because I used to do a lot of media consulting. And then I once told Jeffrey Strygard this. Because he and I did a show together, and I said, don't worry, Jeffrey, if you just come across as likable and believable 
on TV, everything else falls into place. And I think that's true. But Jeffrey said to me in response, you'll take care of the likable and I'll take care <laughs> of the believable. <laughs> and it's also terrifying to cook on camera. Like like I said, my knife skills aren't great. And it was really tough having a camera zooming in while I was doing a not great job of chopping onions. And I'm, yeah. I'm getting slowly but surely better. But I'm just like, I wish they would not take video of me cutting onions or, you know, turning the heat on medium high and being like, OK, now medium high heat. And the recipe person in the back being like, well, your recipe says medium heat. Being like, yeah. All right. Medium heat. <laughs> medium heat it is. You know, being terrified that you're going to mess something up on camera. But I think the beauty, at least, of the Bon Appetit videos is that they kind of they love uh, leaning into the mistakes and making it seem right. as real as possible. Yeah, because I've always you know. wondered whether that gestalt is Real spontaneous or faux spontaneous? No, like, it's all very, it's all very real. I mean, you're just in the, you, you're filming for such a long time that things just happen, and their their editors are very good at just piecing it together into a really fun ten minute yeah. segment. You didn't set out to become a star. You're not trying to become the Madonna of Indian cooking who had this insane focus and ambition. I know people that knew her when she was coming up, mm-hmm. but. In your own quiet way, you actually do have this laser-like focus. Do you think that in part comes from your mom? My mom just has always known how to hustle, and she just, like, instilled that hustle in me. Amazing. You're, that's, what I, that's what I took away. It's like, your mom is a phenomenal hustler in yeah. the best sense of the yeah. word. So what's next? Like, are you developing or do you feel confident enough to develop your own recipes? There will always be some kind of collaboration with my mom and me. I think that the best recipe developers are people who kind of just have this intuition about cooking. And and I don't think I have that intuition. I think my strengths lie elsewhere. So, yeah, I'd love to develop more recipes with my mom. My mom the other day told me that she has... She was like, I, I think I have enough recipes for three cookbooks. And I was like, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves, Mom. <laughs> <That's awesome>. But <laughs> but she's set to retire this year. So, you know, who knows? Exactly. Give us three recipes that if someone had just bought the book mm-hmm. that they should try. The first one, I think, is is one that I think has taken off out of most out of all the recipes in the book and it's the spinach and feta cooked like sag paneer or sag feta and it's basically like a super super delicious coriander and cardamom spinach gravy that my mom discovered you can sub out the paneer for cubes of briny salty feta and it is just this wonderful marriage and you top it with a chunk made of cumin seeds and red chili powder there's and that chunk again it's perfect over rice with roti that's a fantastic starter right. recipe. Um, I also love the roti pizza. It's on the cover. It's probably made more than anything else in our house. And the blend of red onions and cheddar cheese and cilantro chutney over roti is just this beautiful marriage. It almost tastes like Indian nachos is kind of how I think I about like it. I like that. I like that. Um, and then the third one... Oops, the third one I think that everyone should make is the dahi toast, which is like my mom's take on a almost like an Indian grilled cheese sandwich. You mix yogurt with 
cilantro and onions. Oh yeah, I think I chilies. saw you do a video on yeah, it. Yeah, and then you gr- and you spread it on sourdough bread, griddle it, and then top it with a mustard seed and curry leaf chunk. And you never would think that you know yogurt inside a sandwich. How can that possibly work? But it just works in the most amazing way. It's this tangy, crunchy, bright, spicy sandwich, and you know it's the essence of Indianish. Yeah, it is. And on the sourdough bread, the sourdough bread is key, and it is just. Nothing Indian about sourdough bread. Yeah, my mom just went to California in the eighties, discovered sourdough bread, thought a it was awesome. Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco, yeah. <laughs> and thought it was amazing. But it, it's things like that that my mom tried sourdough bread and was like, you know, in the heat toast, the richness of the spices would pair really well with the tang of sourdough bread. That those are just connections she's able to put together. Got it. So now it's time for the all you can answer special sauce buffet. Who's at your last supper, no family allowed? Can be anybody, but no family allowed because everyone always says they're family. Yeah, I know. I wish it could just be like my my entire extended yeah, family. Yeah, see, can't do it. Can't That'd be do great. It. I feel like I would love to have Mindy Kaling there because she's like, I just, I, she, I look up to everything that she has done and I feel like she would just be really funny, entertaining I, because it's a dinner. And then I would love to have the Obamas. Imagine like the Obamas, me and Mindy Kaling. That I seems like, like a great. Yeah, that's a great force. A great one, meal. Yeah. One more person and then we're done. Uh, ooh, one more person. Um, how about how about how about Richard Gere? I feel like he'd be a great conversationalist. It's <laughs> like a little like homage. If my mom can't be there, she send Richard Gere. But, but, <laughs> but would you demand that he ballroom dance with you? Yeah, I would definitely demand that he like perform monologues from some of his movies. Got it. De- definitely, maybe right. the one from Shall We Dance. <laughs> so, what are you eating? Um, so I've always thought that my last meal would be, um, would be like they would the first course would be like a traditional Indian meal with all of my favorite things, like you know, like the roti pizza, some dal chawal. But then after that, I think there would just be an assortment of noodles around the world. So there would be like khao soy. There would be from Thailand. There would be like a maybe some kind of pesto pasta situation. Maybe a bolognese. Um, maybe a, a pho. Maybe a ramen. A ramen. I yeah. like this. Just like a long buffet noodles of, from around yeah. the world. I yes. like this. That's yeah. Can I come? Yeah, of course. Yeah, all all are invited. <laughs> I hear the Obamas are going to be there. <laughs> so what do you cook when there's nothing in the house to eat? I make this uh, tomato. It's like this tomato cheese toast. I toast a piece of bread. I melt. Uh, I put tomatoes, cheddar cheese on top, melt it in the toaster oven, and top it with chopped masala and have it with a glass of milk. That is what I eat. The glass of milk is a... Interesting. The milk is critical. It cuts through the cheese and the intensity of the spices. It's really important. And right. I feel like people are skeptical, but you just have to try All it. All right. I'll, I'll try it. <laughs> so what's in your fridge at most of the time? Uh, usually like three or four kinds of cheese. I love cheese. And then like a lot of different kinds of specialty butters. Because I just love like toast with butter is a very so specialty as in French butter, high butter fat butter. Yeah, like carry your carry golds. Yeah, I assume there's ghee clarified butter. There is, but there's not always ghee. Ghee is not something I always have around. Usually, it's really funny whenever my mom comes to visit, she'll just like throw a few sticks of butter in a pot and like skim off the top and just make ghee and pour it in a jar and then just. 
she'll have ghee for me. But I mean, one of the reasons why in the book it's ghee or olive oil is because my mom kind of like trained me that you can cook Indian food with olive oil. She loves the fruity taste and the way that that. it complements Indian flavors. So that's the essence of India. Yeah, it's not a given that. Yeah. He is in my fridge. And then a lot of yogurt. I would say yogurt is the, probably the food that I eat more than anything else. Is it your father's yogurt? I wish it were my father's yogurt, but I just don't always have time to make homemade yogurt. So it's often just like the convenience store brand, but it's always full fat yogurt. I feel very strongly about it. Have you this. had white mustache? Yeah, I've had white mustache. It's it's good. I'm I'm not as as not I'm not as into the, like the really fancy yogurts. I like just getting a tub of Got it. The really basic stuff. But full fat. But full fat. Got it. What's on your nightstand right now, book-wise? I am reading Bali Kaur Jaswal. She wrote this story called Erotic Stories for Punjabi Widows, and she recently wrote a follow-up to that called, like, The Unlikely Adventures of the Shergill Sisters, and it's about— You know, I actually wrote those books under a pen name. (laughs) (laughs) And I love reading Indian American—or, like, just— Indian authors generally, and so this is a book about these sisters who go back to India after their mother dies. And I, I grew up reading books where the characters didn't look or sound like me, so I, I feel like I'm retroactively reading all of these books Got where it. I can relate to the characters. That's great. And then, of course, I think Serious Eaters on their nightstand. Yeah, well, as soon as I can get a copy of it, I'm planning on bringing it on book tour <laughs> with me so that I can read it. So... Who's had the greatest influence on you in your career? Is there one person that's been really helpful and meaningful? Yeah, I think that person would be Dajel Rao, um, who writes for the New York Times. Um, She and I met when I was at Lucky Peach really early on because our mothers or or our my mother and her cousin introduced us in one of those like the way that like moms are like you right and she's from Goa right she's from Goa is she not no Tejal kind of grew up all across the world she has this really amazing sort of worldly upbringing and we met and just immediately clicked and she is someone who has just been like the most relentless advocate for me, has made introductions, has pushed me to believe in myself when I was feeling doubtful. And she's someone who, as she's risen up in the ranks um, and been in positions of power, she's not one of those people who's like, well, I want to be the only Indian person or the only woman of color. She has brought up other people of color with her. And I just really really admire that and yeah i i don't know what i would have what i would do without her so who would you love to have a one-on-one lunch with just to see how he or she thinks <laughs> one person who's just like mind i'm fascinated by is brooks headley who owns superiority burger <laughs> I, I feel like if there's he's, someone he's been in that chair yeah. and he is he has the quirkiest most interesting mind yeah. you can imagine. I would love to just like, I've interviewed him for stories before, but sometimes I wish I could just peek inside his brain and understand <laughs> how it works. I totally understand that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's just been declared Priya Krishna Day all over the world. <laughs> What's happening on that day? Yeah, we're eating a lot of noodles and listening to a lot of Bollywood music, I would say. There's just Bollywood music just booming from every from speakers. speaker everywhere. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and we're and we're also eating a lot of pastries, like pies specifically. Pies. Tons of pie. I'm very much like a pie over cake. So this is like a carb festival with the noodles and the pie. It's raining pies. We're all eating noodles. (laughs) I love this. (laughs) I want it to be Priya Krishna Day. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing your special sauce with us, Priya Krishna. Pick up a copy of Indianish Recipes and Antics from a Modern American Family, and you can find Priya's writing in the New York Times and Bon Appetit and hopefully Serious Eats again soon. And you can also see Priya's videos all over YouTube. Anyway, she's everywhere. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for having me. And so long, Serious Eaters. We'll see you next time. This episode of Special Sauce is brought to you by U.S. Bank. If you're anything like me, you're thinking about food all the time. One day I'm craving Texas barbecue, the next day it's cast iron skillet fried chicken. Wouldn't it be great to earn rewards on everything you crave, whether it's dishes from your favorite restaurant or food you make at home? Or takeout. I do love takeout, whether it's great pizza from Mama's 2 or roast pork, egg foo young, sauce on the side, please, from La Dinestia, or just some spicy tuna rolls from Sushi Yasaka. Well, now you can with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. With this credit card, you can earn four times points on dining, takeout, and restaurant delivery and two times points at grocery stores, grocery delivery, gas stations, EV charging stations, and streaming services. Plus, discover how you can earn 20,000 bonus points, a $200 value, at usbank.com slash altitude go when you apply. Live every day your way with the Altitude Go card. Learn more at usbank.com slash altitude go. Limited time offer. The creditor and issue of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. From PR.